0: This is where they make their mark.
1: This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave and this momentum. Again.
0: Hello there and welcome to our Match Preview podcast brought to you as always by Minnesota United. Callum Williams here alongside Kindra D. St. Orban as always. Later on, we'll be previewing Minnesota United's quarter-final matchup in the MLS's back tournament against San Jose Earthquakes with one of their own right back and centre midfielder, utility player Tommy Thompson will be joining us a little later on. First though, Kindra, we have a lot to discuss. Um, first of all, let's go back to the game against Columbus Crew before we dive into the depths of it. What were your generic takeaways from it?
1: Well, first of all, I thought that um, tactically, Minnesota played that one to perfection. The game plan going into it, I think they completely eliminated the most dangerous pieces for Columbus crew, which everyone had been highly touting and th- throughout the tournament, the midfield. I think they eliminated the midfield in the sense that you know, Darlington Nagmi once again had a ton of possession, but this time it was not purposeful. It was not dangerous. They could not find a way to connect the midfield to the front three or four. And I think, uh, you know, a real credit to Jan Grego, Shasani Dotson, and of course, Ozzy Alonzo to really shut that down and close those gaps. And um, the two center backs for Minnesota United to really hold Jossie's artists at bay where he was really no major threat at any at any point, even some of the balls whipped in from the right-hand side that we saw from Diaz, some dangerous chances, but Zardes really never looked too, too stern up top. So I think that the game plan for Minnesota United, um, you know, they they completed it to perfection and really tactically took took away Columbus's most dangerous aspects.
0: One individual who has not been short of criticism since arriving at Minnesota United is Finland international Robin Lurds, who, uh, rather fortunately for Minnesota United, after one or two attempts, scored the goal to give the Loons the lead, and this is how it sounded. So, referee Alan Chapman giving a corner to Minnesota. Young Griggish right-footed, out The heads go up. It's Robin Lurd back towards goal, headed back over to the right-hand side. Lerd scores! Robin Laird scores for Minnesota United. And a huge weight of pressure taken off the Finn shoulders. Fabulous finish from the Finland international. And Minnesota United take command of the game in the round of 16 knockout game. Thoughts, takeaways from the goal? Well, first of all,
1: a, a beautiful ball played in by Jan Greg, once again on the set piece, I think he's really been um, spot on with a lot of these set piece opportunities for Minnesota United and a huge part of the danger that they have on offense. Secondly, I think Robin Lud on the first ball in, he played that perfectly. He played it back across the face, the goal to try to give his teammates an opportunity. He didn't really have an, in a position to put enough power on it, I think, to put it on goal. So he puts it back into the mix. And then as it gets bounced around and flicked back to him, he finishes it, you know, one time with the foot um, and causes it to bounce in front of the keeper and Tarbell doesn't have a chance. But to me, it's just about finishing your opportunities, finishing your chances. I don't think Minnesota had an absurd amount of chances, but they finished their chance early. And how many times we've talked about coaches and managers saying goals change games, but an early goal in Orlando under these circumstances, I think even change it you know, tenfold because of the circumstances, the heat, you have an opposition chasing the game. I know Columbus crew ended up with the majority of the possession percentage wise, but it wasn't purposeful. And I still have to believe that that was more than that Columbus you know, spent without the ball or at least in control of the game than any of the prior matches that they had played in this tournament where they really felt like they couldn't figure it out and, and um, felt a little discombobulated, not as easy flowing. So the the set piece chance, Jan Gregor's beautiful uh, ball in and then Robin Lud gets his finish. And I just think, you know, that's uh, that's all you can ask because it is it's a weight lifted off of his, his shoulder and, and it continues um, to kind of help him along, and even though he doesn't listen to the critics and he's not on, you know, he doesn't pay attention to Twitter and what people are saying, I'm sure just personally for him, he wants to contribute to this club.
0: Before we talk about the penalties, you mentioned possession there. Uh, we spoke about this on the Sound of the Loons, by the way, so for those that want to listen to that, you can find that on mnufc.com, but I want to chat to you about this, Kindra, and, and use your footballing mind here. Um, Minnesota United, not for the first time, outpossessed again. This time they had 36% of the possession to Columbus Crews 65, according to MLS soccer.com here mm-hmm. Um no doubt Minnesota identify themselves as a counter-attacking team mm-hmm. is there any cause for concern at the lack of possession for the loons
1: I don't think so not in their current situation as long as they game plan with and I mean current situation by the roster and that the way they play the formation and the players that they throw on the pitch I think that it's important to understand your your abilities with who you have. And that I, I, I don't think they need to possess the ball more than the other team. I think the point is is that when you have the ball, you are purposeful with it. You're dangerous with it. And actually I think Minnesota is better when they go at pace with the ball whether it's somebody carrying it individually once in a while right you know we've had Ozzy Alonso kind of four way forward 20 or 30 yards with the ball to open things up take his space or you have the pinging around i think when minnesota united plays quickly pings it around finds his space on the wings you know, the up, back, and through kind of play or, you know, using Luis Amaria, using Ethan Finley on the wing, Roma Mettenier making the overlapping run, whatever it might be, I think they're more dangerous when they play quicker and get in that final third with purpose. I think when the more Minnesota has to ping the ball around in the, the offensive half or around the midway stripe and look for an opportunity to find a gap in the middle, especially without Kevin Molino, they struggle to break that line. They just struggle to break the midfield defensive line of the opposition. So to me, it doesn't bother me that they're, that they're less in the possession percentage. Any coach will tell you, who cares if you have more possession if you don't score goals? Every coach will tell you that. And Columbus crew didn't look dangerous to me, and they had 60-some, whatever you just said, percent of the possession. So it doesn't bother me, I think, with the, the roster that Minnesota United has, the way that Adrian Heath puts them out on the field, the formation he puts them in, that I think um, it suits them to play the way that they play. I mean, would you like to have maybe 40 or 50% just so you're not doing as much work defensively? You have the ball a little bit more. You can control the game at times. But as long as you're picking the right moments to control the game and the pace of the game with an Ozzy Alonso or somebody centrally to slow it down when you need it or pick up the game or keep possession when you need it, I think you'll be just fine.
0: Okay, so Jassi Zardes equalised for Columbus Crew off of a rebound after Tyler Miller made a penalty save, but that wasn't his last penalty save of the evening. Chris Caden approaches right-footed, and it's saved by Miller to the right. Really good save by Miller. The second penalty he's saved here this evening, and he gives Minnesota a 3-2 lead in penalty kicks. Chris Caden was the player who was uh, denied by Tyler Miller from the penalty spots. Um, What were your thoughts and takeaways from that particular save, Kendra?
1: Well... Tyler Miller, I thought was fantastic the whole match. Um, I know we talked about Columbus Crew not having any insane chances, but the, the saves that Tyler Miller had to make, he did. And he steered them clear of danger, and he did it in that particular situation. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, our recap with Stewie Kerr, because as the goalkeeping coach, he really gives you a unique inside look at what goalkeepers go through, what they're... Thinking on the plays, um, how they react, the the odds of them even saving penalties, we know it's not in goalkeeper's favor. So for me, I thought Tyler Miller, um, as the whole rest of the squad, has gotten sharper and sharper every match. He's improved. He looks more kind of... I don't want to say focus because that would make it sound like he wasn't focused prior, but just more in tune, more, um, reactionary, just more alert, um, in these crazy times and environment after being off for four weeks or four months. So I think uh, it was a fantastic save by him and much needed. It lifted the team. I mean, these guys have been just exhausted in these times and, and, um, how many minutes they've, they've been playing. So fantastic save for Tyler
0: Miller and gave his team a lift. They did indeed and uh, as Kendra mentioned, you can find that uh, match recap show on mnufc.com with Stuart Kerr, the goalkeeping coach of Minnesota United and uh, he gave us some fascinating insights so go ahead and check that out for sure. So as the penalties continued and the clock wound down, it all came down to a certain left back for Minnesota United, Chase Gasper and this is what happened. Chase Gasper, left footed and he scores! 5-3 5-3 to Minnesota United, who advance into the quarterfinals of the NLS's back tournament. San Jose awaits. So once at the quarterfinals, the Loons go to face San Jose. Were we surprised at all, Kindra, that it was Chase Gasper with the decisive penalty?
1: Um, Gosh, you know, to be honest, I don't know because we just don't see it that often. I mean, I think he is... Um, I have no idea what he's like on penalties. I have no idea what they've been doing in training and how much they've been working on them or what he's looked like in practice taking penalties. And But to me, what it, this, it says about this club at this time, at that time in the match, to be able to step up to the spot and do the, I mean, their kicks were perfect. Yes. Even if the goalkeeper, even if Tarbell had gone the right way every time, I think they still would have gone in. And so for me, what this says about that whole club and all the guys that that were selected to shoot is the mental fortitude to be able to step to that spot, knowing they were physically exhausted at this point, especially... You know, a Chase Gasper who's played 90 minutes of every match and we know how much he goes up and down and tracks back. So it's to me, it's just a real credit to these guys that they were able to step to the spot, keep their focus, be physically, mentally tough enough in that position to put in really nice spot kicks kicks from the spot kicks from whatever the heck we call them these days kicks from the mark everything else um I think it was just a a real credit to the guys and to the whole club and we saw the video afterwards of the celebration and the wonder wall and I don't know how those guys had the energy in the locker room to be dancing around and singing like I was more shocked at that because I just know the way they're laying on the ground afterwards and they you know lose 10 pounds a match with how much they sweat um it just seems like a really good group and they just seem to be all be together in this thing. And, uh, it's been fun to watch.
0: You've been involved in, in penalty shootouts before. Mm-hmm. What, what is it like from a, a psychological point of view?
1: I actually think it's a little bit why it's so stressful. At least it was for me as a shooter is you're, you have all these things going through your head at the same time. Cause you know that you are supposed to make this like right. the odds are in your favor, not the goalkeeper's favor. <laughs> and as long as you put it in the spot that you're supposed to, Put it. There should be no chance for a goalkeeper to make a save, but it's not shocking, I don't think, when you see someone, a professional at the highest level, sky a ball over the crossbar, or just completely shank it or miss it, and that tells you all you need to know about the mental gymnastics that are going on in your brain when you step to the spot. And that's why I say a real credit to these guys that can calm the nerves, calm their, you know, their heart's been racing, their adrenaline's been going now for a hundred plus minutes you know, with extra time and they've got to calm themselves and step to that spot and make the kick. And I think that's a real credit to any player that can do that, especially on the biggest stages and in the most pressure-packed situations.
0: Let's have a look around the tournament, shall we? Since the last time we spoke, um, Portland Timbers ended the Cinderella story that was FC Cincinnati also on penalty kicks. And we're recording this on Friday. So on Thursday evening, Kendra, I was very surprised uh, with how comprehensively sporting Kansas City were dealt with courtesy of Philadelphia union. Now, let me ask you this because this is, this has been a, a an MLS debate for a long time now. Um, and certainly during this MLS is back tournaments, Philadelphia union mm-hmm. came in, identified as underdogs, right? Which is, I think a, a tag that um, is, is suitable given the group that they were in and what we um, thought of prior to the tournaments, and looking at the rosters, I, I thought that was fair. But is it safe to say moving into the semifinals against whether it's Portland Timbers or New York City FC, they'll still have that tag, won't they? And they'll be comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, I think actually Jim Curtin and his side enjoy that tag you know much like we've tried you know we've kind of seen adrian heath try to play the last Well, I mean, multiple seasons, but for good reason in the the past seasons, you know. But even this year um, and going into the Columbus game, kind of just playing that underdog tag. And, well, you know, they've already crowned them champions. I think Jim Curtin with Philadelphia Union, because of where they're positioned on the East Coast and who they're positioned around, they've always been the ones that could kind of fly under the radar. And they've never maybe done anything real flashy. They don't have any, like, crazy signings that are these real attention-grabbing, you know, high transfer fee, money-grabbing kind of... Um, things that it, it kind of matches Philadelphia, you know, to me and in in how you view Philadelphia and the whole kind of blue collar aspect. So Jim Curtin appreciates that. I think that the the team, if you ask them and you hear them do interviews for the Philadelphia union, they'll tell you like, we just go about our business. We don't care about what other how other people view us, underdogs, favorites, whatever it is. We just – we know what our job is and we know what we need to do. And they'll continue that mindset. They just go about their business and get the job done, and slowly but surely they've put these pieces together that have been able to find ways. And and absolutely um, manhandled Sporting Kansas City in that match. I mean, I'm looking again at the starting lineup because I wanted to just double-check and make sure for Sporting KC. I mean, they've got all their regulars out there, and we the, the defense is – and the center backs in the back line have been a bit of a question for a little bit now, and we we could debate whether or not they're missing Icapara. Of course, as Beesler is still not in there, but they've got Smith, the youngster, and Punchech back there, but Martins and Zusi. But you still have Tim T- and you still look at that front four, that front five. Like you're, and you're like, how do you, how how did you not score more goals? Is that Philadelphia, or is it a Kansas City problem? And I think, um, I think Philly just goes about their business offensively, defensively, and nothing flashy, and
0: they're just getting it done. We'll talk about Kansas City in a little while. um, But whilst we're on the subject of of underdog, how how does one identify as an underdog? Is is it the marketplace? Is it the amount of money that's been spent? Is there something else that we're missing?
1: No, I think it's everything that you just said. I think it's the marketplace, sometimes the city that you're coming from, and it's the money that you spend because – um, and, and until you've had an extreme amount of success. Kansas City, for example, right? Right, right. Tiny, tiny market, didn't ever spend a lot of money until they just brought in Polito, but they had success, so they couldn't be an underdog. Sure. Because Peter Vermees has built that club, and with their academy and the homegrowns and the players they brought in. So once you start having success, even if you're from a small market and you're not spending money, you can no longer, in my opinion, be an underdog. But I think that Philadelphia hasn't had the success, hasn't won any trophies yet. They don't have any silverware. So they can still continue to fly under that radar of being in a market like Philly for, from a soccer perspective is they don't get the attention. They're right next to NYCFC. They're next to the Red Bulls, you know, new England revolution, just maybe being owned by Robert Kraft and the situation there and gets a little bit of attention. I think that Philly continues to just fly under the radar, not spending a lot of money in in the market they're in.
0: So with that in mind, do Minnesota United identify as underdogs?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think so. I mean, and because I, I still think, uh, and not to discredit or not to take anything away from the signings that have been made over the last four years and slowly but surely this club, after that three-year plan, making it to the playoffs, even though they lost in the first round, but competing with some of the best clubs out there, beating LAFC on the road last year and um, finding a way to, you know, get victories and, um, score goals, but still, I mean, there's no nine, $10 million man. There's no $15 million man. And I'm not saying you need a $15 man or a ten $10 million man to be, you know, cream of the crop or to be successful. We saw that with Kansas city all those years. I think that Minnesota, um, you know, we, t- we joke because we live here, but people view Minnesota as like a flyover state. It's New York and LA, you know, it's, you're going from coast to coast. I think these States in the middle kind of get missed and, Minnesota is just trying to build. And people that aren't aware of the soccer history and the culture and the popularity here are surprised and pleasantly surprised when they get here and realize how amazing this is. And this is clearly one of the best fan bases and soccer communities in the country.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong here, Kendra. Obviously, I've I've only been here a couple of years, but it it does seem as though the Twin Cities themselves very much get overshadowed by the what seems like the big step brother in Chicago just down the road.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and still, I think, you know, soccer, like in many cities is still building, it's building its fan base. And when you have every other major professional sports in the Twin Cities and multiple colleges, I think it's just a competitive nature within your own market. And then also within, of course, like you said, Chicago just down the road and being the big city that it is and the popularity and people traveling there and people going through there, it's a hub. You you know, when you go through those airports to go to other countries and to go to other coasts, Chicago is kind of that connection and that stopover um, for a lot of people that are traveling. So Minnesota has always gotten overshadowed. It's like, oh, Minnesota, that's right next to Illinois, right? Like that's right next to Chicago, you know, and I think uh, slowly but surely people will take notice. But I think Adrian Heath is just fine with people kind of letting Minnesota be unassuming.
0: For those who are listening that do think Minnesota is a flyover state, never mind. Uh, we'll wave as you fly on over. Yes, no yes. Keep all.
1: going. Keep going if you already think that about us.
0: You have no idea what you're missing. It's a fabulous place here. Um, Right, so in terms of that game we were just talking about, uh, I think the absence of Matt Beasley probably played its part for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, but one individual who who stole the show during that evening, Kindra, was, was the youngster Brendan Aronson, who, look, we know there were scouts watching. Mm-hmm. It, it seems inevitable his departure from Major League Soccer to one of the big leagues in Europe. How impressed were you with him?
1: Well, you know, I've been keeping an eye on him now for a couple years because um, the the play-by-play gentleman, J.P. Della Camera for the Philadelphia Union, had kind of told me about him. I mean, we had heard his name, but, you know, he's this skinny kind of slight kid. You don't know how he's going to be on the ball. How is he going to do in this league? I mean, with grown men who have played at this level and, um, you know, you see the size of them. And um, I think that he's impressed me in a lot of ways. And when you also hear his teammates and others talk about him, just he's a sponge. He soaks everything up. He wants to learn. He's asking the questions. He's gotten better every year and it's his ability to read the game, its ability to do the little things right and to look over his shoulder, to make the right pass, to um, just everything about it. And, you know, that ball in for that, Uh, Santos goal to was it Santos? Yeah, he got he had three, right? Yeah. Uh, To curl it around the defender and perfectly weighted pass. But if you go even when he received the ball, the way it came across his body to, you know, to beat the defender to find the pass. I mean, just all those things as such a young player under pressure in a, a high intensity situation. Um, it's been fun to see him grow. And I think that, yeah, he, you know, he'll, he'll end up overseas. And I think people in the past would be like, oh man, bummer. He's going to leave MLS, but it's a good thing when MLS is a selling league. And I think that's what they're trying to get to. And then you just bring another good player in, or you have another homegrown come up through the system and keep developing this talent. And I think ultimately that's what, that's what MLS wants. They want other leagues to want their players.
0: Uh, No doubt about it that there are some insecurities in Major League Soccer when it comes to that particular debate as well. Um, It's a good thing, as you say. It's a good thing, and it's okay to be a selling league. It's okay to see some of the young players going off. And as long as it is uh, one of the top leagues in the world, I think the days are gone now, aren't they, Kindra, of losing particularly young Americans to leagues uh, in Denmark and Sweden and what have you. Now they are going to the Bundesliga. They're going to... Uh, the Premier League that they're going to the top leagues in the world. I honestly think that it's a good thing for 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 the for US soccer, for the US men's national team. I, I understand you want to have your best players in Major League Soccer, you want to have your best players in the domestic league. But it's not, in my opinion, it's not Major League Soccer's responsibility to help grow US soccer. I, I understand that there needs to be some sort of agreement between the two where they have to work together. And that's an issue in itself, the fact that the two, clearly there's, there's, there's issues between them. Um, but when you see somebody like a Brandon Aronson being linked with the names that he is being linked with, it's not a bad thing to, to go on a, a, and have those players go. Because also as well, when they get over to Europe, they can spread the message about Major League Soccer, surely.
1: Well, and I think it's just a cyclical domino effect. I think it's all important. I think that they need... I think Americans going over and playing in those leagues and playing against some of that competition day in and day out only improves soccer over here in the United States and it improves US soccer it improves Major League soccer I mean I think these are all positives I don't think there's anything negative from an American player thriving here in the United States and growing up or going through a, a homegrown system or an academy and being sold and playing overseas and having success I think then they come back and they're better for US soccer and the men's yes. national team they it's better for the league here it's good for us over there because everybody is aware of the talent that is over here and that players can play over there if from the United States and it raises the level. And then it also piques the interest of some of the guys that are over there to come and play in major league soccer, or even if they're coming from South America or wherever they're coming from and say this to just see the talent that is here. And I think those are all positives. They're all good things. And there are no negatives from a really good American player coming up through an academy or a homegrown and going overseas and playing. It's good for everybody involved in the United States. that has to do with soccer at any level.
0: Speaking to somebody, at uh, Rasenball uh, Leipzig the other day and uh, they were saying that Tyler Adams has impressed so so much and it'll be very interesting to see how he does uh, and how the the growth of American soccer uh, can take advantage of moves like this for sure right okay so we'll take a short break uh, stay with us though coming up it's all about Minnesota United and San Jose earthquakes While team sports may be sidelined right now team spirit is going strong Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And everyone. welcome back into our Match Preview podcast. Callum Williams here alongside Kindra East St. Auburn, as always. And it's only fitting after talking about homegrown American players in Major League Soccer that we bring on one of the better ones that we've seen in the league. Tommy Thompson joins us from San Jose Earthquakes and the Orlando Bubble as well at the moment. Tommy, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Before we get into football, let's talk about life in the bubble. How has it been for you?
2: It's been a really positive experience so far. We were actually the first team here in the bubble. So we've been here for over a month now, uh, but we've really enjoyed it. It's allowed us to, to train as a group because we were actually the last team able to do the individual trainings. So to put that all behind us, to come to Orlando and just to put our focus on the tournament has been a relief. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, preparing, and to see the fruits of that labor so far has been really rewarding.
0: Into the quarterfinals you go against Minnesota United. We'll speak about that a little later on. Talk to us about Matias Almeida. As a head coach, how is he to work under?
2: He's an incredible leader. Um, It it goes back to the first meeting he had with us in 2018. Uh, We were in a really difficult moment as a team. Uh, I think we only won just a couple games that year. So it it was difficult, but, but he came in and right away you could see his vision. And he told us that he was going to change the team culture. He was going to change the system and he was going to make us a team that nobody wanted to play against. And to have a leader like that in the locker room, it really just makes a, a massive difference. And to see, his vision just come into fruition over the course of the past year and a half is, has been a special experience and I've really enjoyed it.
1: You know, Tommy, a lot of coaches and managers say that, right. That they're going to come in and change the culture and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. How, how has it actually come to fruition? I mean, how did you guys, actually believe? How did he actually implement it? I mean, what were the, was it just right away from day one of training? Is it his attitude? Is it his personality, his energy? I and mean, what is it about him that actually it translated into the rest of the squad? Cause I'm sure there's a lot of, how many coaches you've had just in your time there right. where you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard this before. I mean, what was the difference?
2: Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. Cause you're, you're exactly right. Every coach comes in and, says that they're going to change the way things have been and it's going to be a fresh start. But with Matias right away, I could tell that it was something different. And it started in that first meeting he had with us after the 2018 season. I believe it was in November of 2018 or something like that. But I really knew that something was going to change in that first preseason trip to Cancun in 2019. And the main difference for me is just the way that he communicates with his team uh, the way he sees his players, not just as soccer players, but as people, I think he's got a special ability to connect with you, regardless of your background. You know, Whether you're from South America, Central America, whether you're from the United States, it, it doesn't matter what language you speak, uh, what country you're from. He's just got a, an ability to tap in uh, to you as a human being, and that allows him to get the best from you so it's it's been incredible to to watch guys who, like myself included, who had a really difficult year in two thousand and eighteen to just flip the script and uh, to to show the soccer world what you can do. it's It's been a lot of fun to be a part of. I think it's just a testament to his leadership and his ability to 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 connect with organizations across the world.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the system specifically. Everybody talks about the system and this man marking and watching, you know, the right back and the left back track all the way across the field and an attacking player track all the way back defensively and, and just kind of the wonkiness of it. But it works from Matias because he's clearly had success in a lot of places that he's gone. And it works for you guys, um, at least in this Orlando tournament and a good chunk of 2019. When you guys were learning this and he was, talking through it to you guys, were you all kind of scratching your head or how, how long do you think it took you guys to really understand what he was asking of you?
2: Yeah, there absolutely was a a learning curve. It it was a system of, of soccer that I I had never seen before. So he he came in and and he told us that it was going to be different. And he told us that we were going to work harder than we've ever worked before in training but we're also going to be enjoying the process more than we've had. And at first I was confused uh, <laughs> by, like, what, by what he was saying. It, it sounded intimidating. You know, normally those two things aren't, aren't parallel, but everything that he said has transpired. So he, he exerted us extremely hard all throughout that preseason, all throughout last year as well. But something clicked within the group. And there's definitely a learning curve. I think I saw it first that it was going to work in a preseason game against LAFC when we beat them 2-0. I I was really optimistic at that moment. Actually, I think it was 3-0, but 2-0 at halftime. I was really optimistic because that was the first time I saw that this system can work with our group. Uh, and, And I wasn't even starting at that time. But then, of course the major league season started in 2019 and we ended up losing our first four games. And there's no doubt that guys were, were second guessing if we could actually do this at the major league soccer level. And I think that culminated in that five zero loss to LAFC at home that really shook up our team and our locker room. Uh, but Matias kept the same mindset throughout all of the successes, all the failures. And he said that I believe in this system and I believe that you guys can make this work. And then sure enough, after that game against LAFC, the tide changed and we ended up beating uh, Portland three zero at home the next game. And then over the past or over the next couple months, we were one of the top teams in, in, in MLS. So it took a little bit for us to get used to what exactly was being asked of us, but, Once it clicked, it definitely
0: clicked. You spoke of it clicking from a team perspective, Tommy. What about you personally? Was there a moment when you were on the field and a part of the system where something happened and you thought to yourself, yeah, I I can see how this is working? Because it may very well have been something where you advanced into a position that you weren't perhaps too familiar with before or you'd not done this before and yet it worked. Was there a moment at all that you can remember?
2: Yeah, so there's, there's a funny story, actually. Uh, before the New York Red Bulls game of 2019, this was the, the third game of that season. We still hadn't won yet. But Matias came up to me before that game, and he said in, in Spanish to the translator, he says, are you comfortable in this position? And he was referring to me playing uh, as, as an outside back. And I, I told him in, in Spanish, like, quiero estar en la cancha, which is just like, I want to be on the field. Like Puedo Jugar todas las posiciones, which is just like I, I can play all of the positions. And he looked at me, and he's like, That's the that's the energy we want. And the next game, I got my first start at the New York Red Bulls. And in that first half, we did really well. And Christian Espinoza scored a great goal. We went up one-zero. And then in the second half, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> it didn't go as well. We ended up losing four-one. But that first half of that Red Red Bulls game was when I realized that this system could work and that we were putting a team like the New York Red Bulls on the back foot in their own stadium. So to me, that was a really positive step forward. But then of course, after that Red Bulls game, we ended up, we we lost four, one to them. And then we ended up losing five, zero to LAFC. So there's still more we had to learn, but in that first half against the Red Bulls, I felt something different and I knew that we were going to have success in this league.
0: Those uh, duolingo sessions paying off very well, mate. Well done there with the Spanish. (laughs) he have been doing very well. Uh, So what about the opponents then this coming weekend? Minnesota United, Tommy, how how do you view them at the moment?
2: Yeah, they're a great team. Uh, Adrian Heath has done a great job. I mean, Minnesota finds a way to win. Uh, They're a dangerous team, and, and they've shown that against us as well. But for us, we're, we're, we're more focused on our game and what we can bring uh, to the table. And I'm excited. I think it's a great matchup. Uh, now that we're in the quarterfinals, uh, everyone's going to be good. So we're ready for a challenge. We're ready for a battle. And I- I'm really looking forward to Saturday.
1: Can you talk about the relationship and the partnership that you have with Espinoza sitting in front of you? We, we have similar systems I think here with Minnesota United in that sense of the importance of the connection between the outside back and the player sitting just in front. I mean, do, can you talk about this partnership that's developed and the chemistry that you guys have on that right side that makes you so dangerous?
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, Me and Christian Espinoza actually played in the same under-20 World Cup in uh, 2015. He was representing Argentina. I was representing the U.S. We never actually played against each other, but we're actually more similar than, than I ever would have thought of when we signed him. And immediately once he came into the team, we, get, we got along uh, really well. And it's been a pleasure to, to play with him. He's got a positive attitude. And every session, every game, he's given it his all. And uh, I I think it's been a a great partnership. and I've really enjoyed playing with him. And my favorite part is that I'm learning Spanish. And since he's from Argentina, obviously he speaks Spanish, but at the same time, he's also learning English. So on the field, a lot of times I'm speaking in Spanish to him and he's speaking in English back to me, which is a really cool illustration
0: of what's going on in our locker room right now. Wonderful, Tommy. Yeah, before we let you go, just one final question for you. Chris Wondolowski, <laughs> how on earth does he keep doing it? I, I, I know he said that he's thinking about calling it a day at the end of this season, but he's going to play to this 45, is he not?
2: <laughs> Chris Wondolowski is an anomaly. I mean, I've been hmm. playing with him for, for, for seven years now, and I still can't quite figure out how he does it. If I could, I'd be scoring a lot more goals than I, I have so far. but. If I had to put a finger on it, I mean, it's his will to win. Uh, he's just got an incredible desire to win everything, whether it's a 66 in practice, whether it's a game with the U.S. national team, whether it's a, a game with the earthquakes. He's going to constantly give it all he's got, and it, it shows in his performances. He's always where he needs to be, and it's just a testament to the player that he is.
0: Well, Tommy, thank you very much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you Saturday. Uh,
2: That sounds good. Thanks for having me on.
0: That is Tommy Thompson of the San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, Really intriguing stuff there and an insightful look into the Matias Almeida iteration of San Jose Earthquakes, which, of course, as we've said several times now, are the opponents for Minnesota United this coming weekend in the quarterfinals of the MLS is back tournaments. Um, uh, no doubt about it, this particular matchup has given us thrills and spills in the past, and it's been tremendously entertaining. Um, but Minnesota, kindred seem to have a knack of, of being able to get the better of this earthquake system. Do we expect that to be the case on Saturday?
1: You know, for some reason, they have had the number of the San Jose earthquakes. I don't know necessarily what it is. And there are teams that have that. And that's the situation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when San Jose came here last year in Minnesota, won. would you say that was against the run of play? I did not do that game that Minnesota won the match.
0: Yeah. From what I can remember. And it was an interesting one as well, because uh, what I will say is I thought the Almeida system that day was exposed brutally because, um, as a coach, you, you often wouldn't want your centre-halves to have the ball as much as they did that day, the Minnesota yeah. centre-halves. Yep. And I remember Michael Boxall wandering into almost nosebleed territory for a centre-back, and he played a 1-2 with, with somebody... Uh, on the edge of the penalty area and slotted home. And I thought to myself, it's a center back doing this, mm-hmm. you know? So so there are frailties to this sure. system. Um, but on reflection, uh, no doubt about it, you, you could tell there were some pleasantries ab- about the system and the formation that Almeida has, has put in place. Well,
1: and I think we saw it exposed in March as well, you know, against San Jose. Minnesota exposed the system in March. And I think that I was expecting to see a better San Jose team in March because they were earlier in the season. They were fresh because everyone said they kind of wore down last year at the end of the season because of the system, because of the amount of physical exertion that those players are putting out that that towards the end of last year, they had worn down. So in March, I was expecting to see a better San Jose team second year under Matias Almeida, second year under the system. They know what to expect. It's early in the season and Minnesota went on the road to San Jose in the second game of the season and just absolutely put a stomping on them. I don't think the final score was even quite reflective of how Minnesota. I think it was four, one at halftime, yes. Minnesota United scored on set pieces, some counterattacks some transition. Um, so I do think, think that uh, Matias Almeida has something about the way he wills his team to win, the confidence he invokes in his players individually and as a group. And I think we're seeing that come to fruition in this Orlando tournament. And I've listened to a lot of interviews and heard other players say that. He has this belief in them and his system. that He doesn't care how many times they screw up. You, you will play out of the back. I don't care if you turn it over. Let the critics come at me. You keep doing what I'm telling you to do, and it will find success eventually. The best game I've seen them play so far was their last match. I think against was it Real Salt Lake? Yes, yes. yes where they put the pieces together. You can see the pace on the outside. You can see the, the fluidity of the attacking pieces. And Minnesota, to me, actually can be very similar in that sense in the front four and the front six with the fluidity and the outside backs overlapping. And we see Ethan Finley combining with Roma Metzineer and, and the pieces kind of moving around. Um, so I think it's going to be a really fun matchup. It's funny. My husband asked me that I'm walking out the door this morning and he knew that we were coming here to do the podcast. And that with Tommy was going to be on. And he asked me, he's like, what do you think the game is going to be on Saturday? What are you expecting from this match? And I said, I really think it's going to be a good one because I think San Jose has something to prove against Minnesota. Um, because of the history, I think that the systems can be very similar and they're attacking the way they attack, not the way they defend. Clearly, the man marking everywhere. You have a holding midfielder like a Jutsen and an Ozzy Alonso. So there's going to be a lot of similarities and um, it's going to be a fun one. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing that we're going to see some goals, some fresh legs, um, just a rejuvenated spirit maybe getting past that first knockout game and it could be a good one.
0: Just a, a quick change of, of subject before we focus on Minnesota United. I wasn't going to say this, but it's breaking now on ESPN. But ah. uh, Kubo Torres, yes. the former Houston Dynamo man, has signed with Atlanta United uh, after two years in League MX. Uh, so, in case you missed that, there you go. There's your news on a for free today, transfer. On a free transfer. I mean, you can't
1: you can't skip over that part because that is very important. Considering <laughs> who you're getting for that without a Joseph Martinez up top,
0: it's a very big signing. Could yep. uh, prove to be a, a really astute addition for Atlanta. But anyway. Uh, back to Minnesota United. Now, Now this will be intriguing now, Kindred, because as as we have said before, we're recording this on Friday. So mm-hmm. as it stands, we, we don't know what the situation is with Romar Yes. with Kevin Molino. Yes. So with that in mind, it, it does offer plenty of possibilities for Minnesota United. Are we expecting to see a 4-3-3 again? Do we expect to see Hassani Dotson or Marlon Hairston at right back if Metinier can't go? Is it going to be... Hairston uh, at right back with Dotson in the center if uh, Molino isn't available to go. If Molino's available, do we go back to a four two three one? There are so many questions heading into this game.
1: I think if Roma Metaner can't go, I would put Hassani Dotson out there. That would be my first choice right back in this situation currently. Um, and then if you need to make a substitution farther down the line and, and so is still on the field, you can move him centrally. It gives you some flexibility. I think Marlin did just fine there the other night coming in at right back, and he also shows the ability to – have the ball at his feet, to dribble, to tuck in, to overlap, to create. I think that is kind of the beauty of the Minnesota United roster right now is that you have some of those players, Ja'Cory Hayes, Marlon Hairston, Raheem Edwards, Hassani Dotson, who can be, I don't want to call him utility because I don't want it to sound, I don't want to, almost like a renaissance kind of player where you can play in multiple positions and you can do it well. You can do it serviceably and you can do it well and especially the way Adrian Heath likes to attack with the outside back. So I would start Hassani Dots in there. If Kevin Molino can't go, um man, I don't know. Is that is that something where you slide a Robin Lud into the center and you play someone else? I, I don't know. And though and then attacking Aspect, because we know Robin Lowe likes to kind of tuck inside anyways. Do you play him in that 10-roll? Do you stick with the 4 But then who do you put centrally? I think Minnesota United has some options, but it does definitely, if both of those guys aren't able to go, it really gives you a lot of things to think about if you're Minnesota United staff. And I hope Kevin Molino is able to go because clearly what he can do as a playmaking ability and on the ball and sitting underneath, assuming it's Luis Almeria. I see. We, I think we see Luis with a goal on Saturday. I think he's right there. And I think if, uh, I think he needs to get on the board to really feel good about his game right now. He's a goal scorer. He needs to score goals.
0: Let me play devil's advocate here. Um, Whilst I, I agree with your assessment, um, do we not perhaps as well think that somebody like a Jacory Hayes may very well warrant an opportunity, given what he did against Columbus Crew? Also, hear me out here as well. We've spoken for the last hour or so about the earthquake system and how yeah. it is extremely man-marking. You and I were very impressed with a certain Mr. Aaron Schoenfeld and his mm-hmm. movement off the ball. He's a big man who can play right across that back line and cause sorts of all sorts of problems. When I say playing across the back line, Obviously, he's up front, but he can really play in between each, each defender yeah. to the point where his, his starting position is centrally, but his ending position is often out wide. Yeah. If the earthquakes are as serious as they are about man marking, could we potentially see that and see him perhaps drag out the centre-back, particularly if Molino's underneath him?
1: Um, first of all, and Ja'Cory Hayes, I think for, absolutely. And I think, again, we talked about when he came in the match the other night. I mean, he's only 24 years old, but to me, he plays much older than 24. There's a maturity about him on the ball, and there's a composure about him on the ball, even though he's had limited, limited minutes. I was his MLS Minnesota United debut the other night. Um, so I think that he's for sure an option centrally. I do think that Schoenfeld could present a massive problem for the two center backs. I think that Guram Kashia and, uh... Alanis. Alanis, yes. Osvaldo, Alanis, our liability for San Jose I think that's where you can absolutely get at them so to me it's about what do you want to go for do you want to go for someone who's going to go side to side and draw your center backs out of position because of the man to man marking but I will say this about Matias' system one center back is always free Right. It, it's supposed to be at least the way the system works and Judson drops in so it, depending on Schoenfeld um, how they drop off or how they track him across and then you've got Lima and assuming Tommy Thompson on the outsides and then also or do you want to go with a, a Luisa Maria who can kind of tuck in and drop in and, and play make with Kevin Molino and cause problems, which was what we saw in San Jose early in the year yes. with the movement more like fluidity in a circular motion, but not a sideline to sideline motion. Um, so I think it's going to depend, but I think either way you slice it, any way you slice it, the two center backs is where you are going to find the biggest weakness for San Jose Earthquakes, how can you get at them? How can you get through them, get around them? They're big bodies, so Schoenfeld can clearly go at them. He can challenge them in the air. He can, I don't know. I think those those are good problems to have for Minnesota United because Adrian Heath has options depending on how he wants to play, substitutions, depth changing the game. Mason toy has not seen any minutes since that first match. He brings a little bit of pace and an element. If he had to come off the bench, if Minnesota needed a goal. Um, So I think there's some good attacking pieces, but I, I kind of like if Molino's healthy and Luis Amaria is in to go the way you went in San Jose and use that um, combining aspect of those two up top.
0: I think that's the key. Isn't it? If Molino is, fit,
1: if, I mean, I, and I, you know, I know he was available, on the bench or in the roster Mm -hmm. the other night, but I don't, neither, at least I don't know if he was going to truly, if there was ever a thought of him truly playing in that match or he was just available. Um, I don't know the full health. I mean, those soft tissue muscle injuries, especially with Molino and his reoccurring hamstring kind of tweaks and injuries. I'm sure they're trying to be cautious and are uh, wanting him to play, but those are tough. I mean, it doesn't take much in those conditions and, and the circumstances they're under to tweak that.
0: And if Molino is unavailable, one would assume that four-three-three would again be the way that Minnesota United operate. They've had success in the last two games with that formation. Yep. But also Kendra as well, is it not important to perhaps have a another body around the central midfield of the Earthquakes? Because I I, I thought against uh, against uh, Rail Salt Lake. Um, No doubt, Jackson Yule gets plenty of possession. And denying him as much room as possible is important. Judson is somebody who will fly into any tackle and does his job well. But I was quite surprised with how deep uh, Magnus Eriksson dropped. And and, and he had so much possession and was pinging the ball all over the field. Uh, Got himself two goals on that evening as well. He was spectacular. Um, How important is it to deny the ball at the feet of the likes of Yule and Erickson moving forward.
1: Well, and I think actually Minnesota is very well set up for that in the situation of com- Colum- coming off the Columbus crew match because it was a very similar situation of mine in that denying those midfielders the ability to receive the ball and ping it and switch is very key. We, I mean, I cannot believe it took us this long actually to mm. mention Jackson Yule because he has been so important in, in this team and under Matias Almeida and he's thrived and he's flourished and he's gotten time on the ball and he's so much conversation about the men's national team and and the things that he could do. And he's a Minnesota native right here from Bloomington. And I think that um, the less you can limit his time on the ball, the better, but then all of a sudden Magnus Erickson picked up right where Jackson Ewell had kind of left off in that positioning and doing the same thing where he can ping that ball on a dime and switch the field. So it's going to be really important for whoever is central. And I think that, you know, Jan Gregoos, Ozzie Alonzo and Hassani Dotson did a fantastic job last week in that four through three of trading off in those roles. It wasn't like um, Ozzy had to sit deeper and it was the other two in front. It wasn't, they really were fluid in that trio centrally and the communication and watching them look over their shoulder and, and communicate with Jose Aha and Michael Boxwell and somebody stepping up and also clogging that space. So I think that if Minnesota United continues with that same communication and puts those bodies in there and can, can limit the touches of Magnus Erickson and Jackson Ewell, that you're going to have a good day because they're looking for the service to Spinoza, to Tommy Thompson, to Jackson Ewell, I mean, to um, Nick Lima and Vaco um, in those wide areas. And if they can limit that, I think that that's going to be the key. Shutting down the two central Judson's not going to ping the ball anywhere. That's right. not what he does. And he doesn't do it on a dime. That's for sure. So they don't have to worry about him, but the other two limit the time on the ball. And I think you've got the three pieces in there. If Asani's not playing right back, if he's playing centrally to get the job done.
0: Isn't it nice to have all these good problems? It is Minnesota good. It's, it's fun to view. be
1: able to game plan. I'm sure Adrian Heath, it's, again, it's a headache, right? Because mm. you've got your game planning, but at least you have the options. These are good options. There is no bad option with the depth of this roster right now, and it's really going to be about the health of Roman Metzineer and the health of Kevin Molino at this point.
0: Who would have thought a headache would have been welcomed yes. all those years ago? <laughs> anyway, uh, wonderful. Thank you very much, Kindred East St. Orban, for the insight as always. Our special thanks to Tommy Thompson for joining us as well and our producer, Morgan Lupin. And to you at home for listening as well. Remember, 7pm Saturday Central, that is 7pm. ESPN2, you can watch San Jose Earthquakes against Minnesota United in the quarterfinals of the MLS's back tournament. Or if you fancy listening to these voices again, you can join us from 6.30pm Central on Score North and Sirius X. For now, though, have a good day and we'll see you Saturday.